Open your Bible to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. The title of this message are The Blessings of Endurance. I think it's rather appropriate um, message for us. As we've been going through this epistle of James, we have emphasized that James is primarily concerned with faith. Rather than delving into the intricacies of doctrinal faith, James instead offers practical guidance on what living as a Christian truly entails. He provides numerous examples of what genuine saving faith looks like and advises believers on how to navigate trials, testings, and living in a world that, we may, uh, that may not always accept us. As he begins to wrap up this epistle, James offers some further advice to Christians who are dispersed and may be suffering for their faith in Christ. Today we will continue in our study of James, and we're going to focus on today on verses 9 through 11, as James continues to speak to the readers regarding the very important test of endurance. Last week we read how James encouraged them by telling them that the return of the Lord is near in a sure event. And continuing in that same context, James urges them to face trials patiently with total dependence upon the Lord. Now this is a very similar theme that he spoke about at the very beginning of it. In James 1.12, remember when James wrote these words, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, He will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And toward the end of James, now he's returning to where he has begun with James, where he started, encouraging the church that is facing trials. In James 1.12 there, when he talks about perseveres under trials, he's talking about the one that bears the load. It's the load that comes upon. And he says, blessed is the person who perseveres. Blessed is the person who who bears the load, blesses the one. And he says that once he has been approved, that God will give him the crown of life. The crown of life. James would know something about this. Not only would he know, but James lived this life. He lived this life until his death. James, who wrote this, was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. He also had the leadership position in the church in Jerusalem. He was referred to as James the Just. James the Just. And I want you to hear a little bit about how this James gave his life for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In A.D. 62, in A.D. 62, James was asked by the chief priests and the Pharisees if he would address the people during the Passover feast. And what they wanted him to address specifically was this. Many are believing in Jesus. So tell the people not to trust in Jesus anymore, which I think is rather odd. Number one, he was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Number two, he was a leader 
of the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. But I think James looked at this as a great opportunity to testify for Jesus Christ. So the chief priests and the Pharisees, they said, this is what we want you to do, James. We want you to go up to the pinnacle of the temple, the high point of the temple, right? And we want you to address the people and tell them, don't put your faith in Jesus Christ, that he was a false messiah. So James, seizing the opportunity, goes up to the pinnacle of the temple And the chief priests and the Pharisees from the bottom cry out to him and they say, O just man, speak to us regarding this Jesus. And what they were looking for was a denunciation. Right? Denounce Jesus. Tell the people not to go to him. That he's a false messiah. And James responds by saying, Why do you bother me regarding the Son of God, who is seated at the right hand of the Father? And history records that the chief priests and the Pharisees said to one another, We made a big mistake by having him go up there and denounce. Rather than denounced, he confirmed exactly who Christ was. Christ was Savior and Lord. Christ resurrected from the dead. By the way, that was a term that the Jewish leaders at the time absolutely hated. That he rose from the dead, that he ascended into heaven. And James confirms the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that Christ is indeed alive and he is indeed the Son of God. Well, the Pharisees enraged Say, what are we going to do now? And they conspire to send men up and to throw them off the pinnacle of the temple. Do you remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? One of the temptations that Satan said was, go up to the pinnacle of the temple and throw yourself off, for it is written, he will give give you uh, his charge angels over you, lest you dash your foot against the stone, quoting Psalm 91. Well, James is actually up there. And the men reach the pinnacle of the temple, and they throw him off to the ground. Upon hitting the ground, James is not dead. He's in bad shape. He's not dead. And he rises to his knees, and they begin to stone him. They throw stones at him. And as he is being stoned, On his knees, he cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And even one of the chief priests and the Pharisees said, Men, stop, for he prays for you. And there was a man who took a club. And as James was struggling on his knees, took the club and hit him in the head. And killed him. James endured under perseverance exactly what he wrote to these early Christians 12 years before. He was martyred for the sake of the gospel. And James 
practiced literally what he preached. So here we have someone writing not only just from a moral example, but who will ultimately go to fulfill that example for the advancement of the gospel, for the advancement, for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. I know several years ago, probably more than five, six years ago, I gave out in the church a free copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs. If you have not read Fox's Book of Martyrs, and they even have it now in contemporary English, I would encourage you to buy a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs and just read the first chapter. Read about the early Christians who gave their lives for the advancement of the gospel, who looked upon punishment and perseverance as an honor. They wore it as an honor. This is an honor to suffer for Jesus Christ. Read the stories of Polycarp. Read the stories of the early disciples, the early apostles, how they were martyred. Do you know how many of them were crucified? And do you know how far they reached? Matthew went into India. Andrew went into the Scythians, which is Russia today. Went far and wide with the gospel. All of them met crucifixion. And some people say, well, John didn't. John died a natural cause. Yeah, John was originally thrown in a vat of oil to be burned alive. But when they threw him in the vat of oil, he did not consume. He did not burn. So then they exiled him to the Isle of Patmos. Read about the price that was paid. For the gospel, in each and every one of them, each and every one of them is responsible for a church here in the 21st century. Without those men and succeeding men and women who saw themselves as nothing and saw Christ worth everything, we have a church today. But the question remains for us, what are we going to be leaving to the next generation? Where is our hope? What kind of church are we going to leave to the next generation? What kind of Christians are we to be in a light of such cultural change, deconstruction and reconstruction of lies and myths? So as we read here in James chapter 5, I mentioned to you last week that James in, in chapter 1 gives some practical, in chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, he gives some practical advice to the believers. He, he condemns the rich that hoard. He condemns those that are so consumed with material things. He basically says they're going to rot. You're going to rot alongside of it if that is where you have your hope and trust. And then in verses 7 and 8, he reminds them, listen, the coming of the Lord is near. Look at James 5, 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient and strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And I submit to you, the coming of the Lord is the joy and the excitement and the hope of every single believer. And if it's not, ask yourself if you truly believe. I don't know about you, but I'm waiting to see the Lord. I'm hoping that the Lord comes through. I'd hope he come through in the middle of the service. 
Just praying that God would have his perfect will, that God would have his perfect way with us. And here he encourages, this church was a church that was being persecuted. They were being persecuted. And he encourages them, listen, continue, stand firm, be fixed, be resolute, wait for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. In James 5, 8, he said this, You to be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And I shared with you last week that that word uh, strengthen means to fix, to, to secure, to be planted, to be firm, to be immovable. What's one of the things that trials do to everybody? Trials do to everybody, they bring about discouragement. Discouragement brings about weariness. Weariness brings about a lack of faith. And that's nothing that we want to do. James says, hey, be encouraged, be strong, be immovable, be fixed on the Lord. In short, keep moving, keep moving. Instead of growing weak, be secure in your faith, be fixed, and don't waver. We live in a day and age where it's getting tiring, is it not? Yeah, there's so much bad news that is out there. It just seems like an overwhelming avalanche of discouraging and bad news designed to wear down the people. The people that are without Christ are going to be worn down. And they're going to accept the narrative. But those who belong to Christ can only accept the narrative of Christ, can only accept the narrative of the Word of God. And that requires resoluteness, firmness, commitment. That is what Christ is calling for in this day and age. So it is with that in mind in verse 9 of James chapter 5 that James again gives additional practical, faith-based advice to this church. And he's going to give them three critical applications. Three critical applications. James says that in trials, we're not to grumble, we're not to complain against each other. James tells them, remember those who went before. And thirdly, James reminds them, of the Lord's compassion for enduring. Let's look at our text. Verse 9. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. We pick up verse 9 here within the context of verses 7 and 8. What was the context of 7 and 8? Behold, the coming of the Lord is near. The coming of the Lord is near. And James had advised them, be patient, be enduring, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Persevere until the coming of the Lord. And we spoke in, in, in short, he tells us, keep moving. Now, he, he's speaking to this, uh, these folks, and, and you could see that this counsel against don't complain is resulting that through the pressures, through the trials, that there's murmuring going on somewhere 
in the camp. We don't know exactly where it is. It's implicit in the text. The King James Version says, Grudge not one against another, brethren. Do not complain one against another. Interesting word, this word complain. It, prop, it means properly to groan because of pressure being exercised. It's a groaning. It's a murmuring. And I don't know if you know, but murmuring is a sin. Especially when you complain and grumble about the Lord and his dealings. Also, when you complain and you have a grudge against other believers and the church, this was the sin of Israel when they were delivered, was it not? They complained constantly about Moses. They complained about the food. They complained about the living condition. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians about this. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 9 through 11, speaking of the Israelites, and Paul uses this for the church. He says here, Nor let us try the Lord, as some of, some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. James is encouraging believers to continue the excellent work of advancing the kingdom of God. If we remain faithful to the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ will certainly come with his reward. This morning in Sunday school, we were talking about this, and I said, when we study the Word of God, what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to look for applications. What does this mean to me, a 21st century believer in Jesus Christ? Well, I think I could see one thing. It's very easy for us to murmur. It's very easy for us to complain. It's very easy for us to grumble about the very things that we don't have and the very things that we want. That occurs many times when we're going under periods of severe stress or going through periods of severe trial. And we may say to ourselves, Why, God, why has this befallen me? Why has that befallen me? How come that one never experiences and that one always gets everything that they want? But it is through trials. We've seen this all throughout the epistle of James. It is through trials that God is forming and fashioning the believer it is through the conquering of trials that real biblical sound faith rises up and encourages our hearts and give us strength i want to give a stop here and give a personal word to the church you know july 28th we celebrated or we we started our 11th year since this church was planted and this ministry has been a tough one. It has been a tough one. I often refer to it as plowing hard ground. You know, we're plowing, we're plowing, we hit a rock, then we got to come dig the rock out, move the rock to the side, we plow a little bit more, find another boulder, find another rock, and we plow and we plow and we plow. And we have not ceased plowing. We continue to plow, no matter what the obstacles are there. 
And for those of you who have been here for a majority of years, you know what I'm speaking about. We've seen many come and go. We've seen many places come and go. We've gotten places. We've lost places. We're praying for places. I mean, it's been something. There have been many trials. We've survived the many. We've we survived the tempted divisions. We've endured the loss of meeting places. We saw the decline associated with COVID. But there's good news. And the good news is we're prevailing. The good news is it's not dead. The good news is we haven't stopped. And the good news is we keep going and going and going. And we put our faith and confidence in a God that Paul says in Romans chapter 4, calls into being that which does not exist. That our God is all-powerful, and God can make all things happen according to His will for His glory. But we must labor. We must not grow weary, and we must not murmur, complain, or have a grudge. Look at verse 10 of James 5. Here James reminds them, regarding the prophets who had gone before. He says, do, he says, as an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So here he says to them, listen, you want, you want me to show you an example of what perseverance is? You want me to show you an example of what it is to continue to, to plow through, to continue to labor for the advancement of the kingdom? Take a look at the prophets. That's a very interesting story. Because none of the prophets are real success stories. If you begin all the way at the beginning of Genesis and you go all the way to the end of Revelation, you read the story of the men and women of God and many of them who endured to the point of death. They weren't openly accepted in their society. Jeremiah preached for years, 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 never had a convert. God told the prophet Isaiah, hey, I got great news for you. I'm going to send you to a people who don't want to hear what you have to say. What did those people eventually do with Isaiah the prophet? They sought him in two. And the story goes on and on. Moses was belabored and besieged by the moanings and the complaints and the attempted coups against him. And the story runs through the book. David was persecuted by Saul who tried to assassinate him and kill him multiple times. Even Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he came unto his own and his own received him not. Is that not true? And even Jesus said of Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that stones the prophets and kills those that are sent to you. In Hebrews chapter 11, we have a good example of this. Hebrews chapter 11, notice the, the hall of faith. And it talks about some of those early prophets and those patriarchs who endured by faith. And to understand Hebrews chapter 11, you have to understand Hebrews chapter 11, 6. 
Hebrews chapter 11, 6 says this, For without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so it is this faith, and a simple definition that we've been talking about, faith in the person of God, faith in the plan of God, and faith in the person of God. It is this faith that the writer of Hebrew writes. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And we'll look at verse 36 through 38. In Hebrews chapter 11, at the end of this great hall of faith, where the previous verses talk about, and by faith Abraham, by faith Noah, beginning with verse 36, it reads, And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom this world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and in mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. And all of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. These were ordinary people like you and I. But they, by faith, were able to conquer fear and death by loving the Lord God with all of their heart, all of their mind, all of their soul, and all of their strength. And I submit to you this. The secret is that Christ is everything. Christ must be everything. Being a Christian is not a part-time job. Being a Christian is being overwhelmed with the glory of God, full of His praise because of the forgiveness of Christ, because He paid for our sins, and dying to self. Galatians 2.20. Turn over to Galatians 2.20 real quick. Galatians 2.20. should know this. The Apostle Paul says these words. I want you to call attention to these words. For I've been crucified with Christ. Stop right there. What does that mean? He didn't take the cross with Jesus Christ. Neither did Paul die a death of crucifixion. What does that mean? That means that Paul saw himself in his natural estate as dead with Christ. What does that mean? That means that the preeminence of Christ 
Paul saw. Christ was more important to Paul than his life. Everybody follow that? Let's read on. I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live. What does that mean? Well, of course, he's not dead. What he's talking about, that his will no longer lives. It's not my selfish will any longer. He says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself for me. Christ was everything. To the point that Paul's entire will was surrendered to Jesus Christ. And we know how it ended for Paul, don't we? If you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, we know how it ended for Paul. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning with verse 6, For I am already being poured out as drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. This is Paul's farewell letter. Right after this, he's going to be beheaded by the request of Nero. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Verse 8. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also all who have loved his appearing. In 62 AD, James was martyred in Jerusalem. In 64 AD, Paul and Peter were martyred in Rome. Paul was beheaded, Peter was crucified upside down. Both men practiced what they preached. And as we come back to James chapter 5, verse 10, we now know what James means when he says, as an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. There's a saying that the blood of the prophets is the seed of, of the church. I think today there's just a general lack of knowledge of church history. But if you would read church history, you'll come away astonished at the price going well into the Middle Ages, into the 15th, 16th, 17th centuries. Look at verse 11 here. Here James gives, it is blessed to endure. You are blessed if you endure. Verse 11, Behold, we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealing, that the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. James is precise when he tells believers that there is a blessing with enduring for enduring and persevering for the sake of the gospel. He refers to Job as an illustration of the most severe form of suffering and most gracious and compassion that came from the Lord God. His point is straightforward. 
There are blessings associated with perseverance. And if we take this within the context of verses 7 and 8, those blessings, those reward will come with the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, even Jesus spoke similar words. Turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Here are the words of Jesus Christ on the famous Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus uses the same word that James uses for blessed. And you may have heard it told that blessed means to be happy. But the word actually goes much further, much richer, and much deeper than merely be happy. Jesus isn't just saying be happy when you're being persecuted. The word blessed goes and it means you're fortunate or you're favored and that favor comes from God. So you're fortunate, you're favored by God when you are persecuted. It's Jesus implying a divine blessing upon the person who perseveres, upon the person who endures. Blessed is the inner condition. It is the inner condition of the follower of Jesus Christ and God's favor on that person. What compelled James when he was thrown off the pinnacle of the temple, down on the ground, probably in such severe agony and pain, to go on his knees and say, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. You know, it was written about James, this James, James the Just, that he used to go into the temple by himself and pray. And for some reason, he wasn't a, a, a high priest, but he used to go into the holy and pray. And they said it was written of him that he prayed so often on his knees that his knees resembled the knees of a camel, that they had gotten so callous from spending so much time on his knees praying to the Lord. Could you imagine that? Callous knees. I don't, even, I don't even know if people even go on their knees to pray to the Lord anymore. And here this man of God put no price. He put no price. He didn't say, well, I'll pray a half an hour, I'll pray an hour. That's as most as I could give the Lord. No, he was praying, and in prayer and seasons of prayer, And the favor of God was upon him. It's written of the great missionary David Brainerd that he went into the forest, uh, Jonathan Edwards, I'm sorry, that he went into the forest one day to get alone with God and pray. And he writes that the snow was up to his waist. And he knelt by a tree stump and he began to pray. And he prayed so long and so fervently that 
all the snow around them melted completely to the ground. Church, we need to be a praying church. And I'm not talking about praying for everything we want. You know that. I'm talking about being a people who believe in a God who calls into being that which does not exist. I'm talking about being a people who worship their God because they're so in love with their God. They're so in love with Christ. They desire so much of Christ that to spend time alone with God in the meditation and the contemplation of His Word, to spend time alone with God in prayer is not a problem. It's not a burden. And to meet God. If God gets a hold of your heart, if you truly, truly endeavor to want to know God, to draw near to God, James said, draw near to God, He's going to draw near to you. If you really endeavor to do it, your life is going to be changed. If this church would get the concept of saying, I want to know Him, the church is going to be changed. If all the other believing churches, instead of talking about that God wants you to have this, God wants you to have that, but God wants you to have God. If we got that image, if we got that belief, the church across this nation would be changed. John MacArthur says this, People who endure are the objects of divine favor. I bet you're not thinking about that when you're going through a problem. Is that not true? People who endure are the objects of divine favor. Paul understood this. Paul was blessed even in this life with humility, dependence upon God, special grace, and spiritual strength, all through being unjustly assaulted by Satan. Isn't that something? The Christian life was never intended to be a life of ease and comfort. Flush that one out. The American Christian life is not the biblical Christian life. Can we agree to that? Read about the Christians that are being killed in Nigeria. Read about the Christians that are being killed in Uganda. Read about the Christians that are being killed in North Korea, being sent to labor camps, not only them, but their entire family, so that their family is wiped off the face of the earth by the North Koreans. Read about the Christians that are being thrown in prison in China. Do you know how in China they consider you a pastor, your degree? Not by what seminary you went to. They, they, they consider how many times have you been imprisoned and tortured for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Read about the Christians that are suffering in Iran and across the Middle East. This version of Christianity that we have in this nation is nothing like the true version of Christianity, like what we see here. And we think perseverance is when we don't get what we want and we're annoyed. And that's not biblical perseverance. That's not what James is talking about at all. 
Listen to these words. In Acts, you don't have to turn there. In Acts 14.22, listen how Paul describes the Christian life and the ministry. Listen to this. Paul stated in 14.22, this is as he's departing. He says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, notice this saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Don't sign me up for that, church. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. In Hebrews 5, verses 7, 7 through 8. You don't hear too much commentary on this verse. The writer of Hebrews says this regarding Jesus Christ. In the days of his flesh, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Christ learned obedience from the things he suffered. This verse draws the imagery of Gethsemane. When Jesus is in the garden and he's sweating droplets of blood. And Jesus agonized that word means to be tormented pressured to such a degree it's a jesus agonized and he wept but he committed himself to god to fulfill the will of the father jesus never had to go through that experience before but he was fully human in that moment Fully human, and in his humanity, he agonized and wept and submitted himself completely to the plan of God. What was the plan of God in Gethsemane? That Christ would drink the cup of God's wrath, and Christ drank it, and he drank every single drop. The writer goes on to say, Jesus learned obedience. And that is for the same reason he took on the cross. He was perfectly the righteous one. He was before Gethsemane the perfect sacrifice. But he went further and extended himself to endure the wrath of God fully upon the cross of Calvary for all who put their faith and trust entirely and completely upon him. It was Christ's desire to experience the suffering to the fullest of the wrath of God. This is why the writer of Hebrews goes on to tell us in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, since we have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author of and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, 
and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is what James is talking about. This is the message in the application for the church today. Listen, the enemy has put before us shiny objects, shiny objects. All the materialism and all the consumerism you could find. Shiny objects. You buy this object, it's going to satisfy that, uh, 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 it's going to fulfill that missing void in your life. You buy this, you have that, you get this, you get that. Oh, take it easy, go on vacation, leisure, this, that, the other thing. These are the shiny objects that the enemy Satan has put into the world. And millions and millions and millions are buying into it. And millions in the church are buying into it. Which is why there seems to be a lack of a wholehearted devotedness to Christ. And if we're like the Apostle Paul, we would say, it's no longer I who live, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I live I live by faith in the Son of God. In the Son of God. Here in verse 11 of James 5, James ends with this, Behold, we count those blessed who endured. Is the favor of God upon your life? Are you blessed? Are you enduring? Are you persevering? Are you holding to your faith in Christ? Are you like Job, bearing under the pressure, but never cursing God, holding it at the end of Job? God gave Job two times as much as what he had before. (coughs) Paul said it in 2 Timothy 4.8, I quoted it before. In the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but to also to all who love his appearing. Do you love his appearing? God causes all things to work. We love that verse, don't we? Romans 8, 20. God causes all things to work together for good for all who love the Lord who called according to his purpose. Yeah. You know what everybody misses? To all who love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose. Everything in the Christian life boils down to this. Do you love Christ? Oh, not with a nice kind of like yeah he's so good he's my buddy I'm talking about do you love Christ so what have we seen here three very practical points one we're not to grumble and complain under trials and and testings right two we are always to keep in mind those who have gone before us who are found faithful And three, there are blessings associated with enduring through trials and testings without turning our back on the Lord. Church, these are not the days for the weak. Just going to tell you that. 
to follow Jesus takes everything you got. And you know what? Jesus demands it. Let us throw off our eyes all the shiny objects, all the things that distract us, all the minor stuff. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Listen, Satan loves nothing more than to cause us to stumble, to cause us to fall, to be powerless and weak as Christians. Shed the things that weigh you down. Remove the sin that so easily entangles us. And draw near to Christ. Your very life is dependent on it. And there's nothing more important. No one is going to skate their way into heaven. Do you know what I mean by that? No one's going to skate their way into heaven. You either love Christ with everything you have or you don't. I have a saying here in my Bible. I keep it with me all the time. You could see it right here. And I have it here to remind me. And it's a simple saying. The proof of desire is in the pursuit. Don't tell me you love something if you're not willing to go after it. The proof of your desire is in your pursuit. Let's bow in a word of prayer.